Hi, I'm Olivia, and I love pop culture. I read what's popular, I watch what's being talked about, and I pretty much exclusively read fiction. I'm Jessie, and I'm a PhD candidate currently working on my dissertation in feminist rhetoric. I'm basically always reading at least four books, and they're all nonfiction. So when we're together, we love to talk about everything bouncing around in our brains, whether it's the latest celebrity scandal or how ancient philosophers influence women's rights. Our topics weave in and out from who's hot to inequities in our community and their roots in patriarchy. Our conversations get wacky, but they're all feminist at heart. Well, they're feminish. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Olivia. I'm so excited for our podcast today. Welcome back to my closet. <laughs> yeah, for the folks at home, if we haven't uh, said this before, we are in Jesse's Kardashian closet because it's probably <laughs> as big as my kitchen. Uh, it's really cool. You guys have so much space, but because it's all your clothes, it's it works sound dampening. for sound dampening. Like and a it natural. Has, it's big enough to have an island so we yep. can sit at our island. So I know yeah. that lots of people do, you know... I think recording in a closet is a classic podcaster move, but we're not actually like hunched over. We get yeah. to sit on stools. No. And when she says island, she doesn't mean like a cute, tiny little kitchen island. Like this thing is like, I don't know, like a small child could sleep on it. It's a big island. Yeah. Like you have a giant closet. I am jealous of it, but it's a whole sitting room. I, I mean, I do feel very lucky. It also can be kind of a burden because it means that I don't have to get rid of things because I can just stuff right. them in my closet. So right. you're like, I'll find space for like this somewhere. Like literally over here in the corner. Um, my American Girl dolls <laughs> are just in a bin <laughs> because where else, where else am I going to put them? Yeah. And you haven't even maxed out like your vertical space. Like you haven't like, no, it's once even, again, we're yeah. just two people. Like yeah. what am I supposed to do with all that? So yeah. what a wonderful. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, I was looking forward to this because I feel like we haven't had like one-on-one friendship time in a while. Like we we're have either been out, doing a lot. We just have been doing so, so much. What did we do last week? I don't even know, but you can't, we went the, out. The, we did something I don't on a Tuesday. Remember? Oh yes, I took. First of all, I sold a house. Yay. Congratulations! Thank you. Sold the house. It is done. It's out of my life. It took six months to sell it. I did. Um, very stressful to just have it on my mind constantly and having to run over there at least every other week to make sure like that nothing exploded yeah. and yeah. to check on it and make sure everything was good and keep um, it clean six months is not a yep. short amount of time. Yep. And people were like wrecking it when they came in. Like one guy tried to remove one of those like faux you know those faux under the sink cabinets like it's not a real cabinet it's just like the panel that goes in front of it someone ripped it off because they thought it was a cabinet and so they ripped it and then just left it on top and then did not tell the real estate agent people were horrible we actually garbage one time i went over and the front door was just wide open wide open literally open literally wide open no wide open that's crazy. Yeah. And I I'm told so the real sorry. estate agent and then my ex was like livid and it was just like, oh, and it was like, oh my God. Well, yeah, we've been trying to sell it for six months. Of course, things are going to happen. So yeah. what we did is um, I took you out uh, and my my date to I thought that Banshee. was like more than one week ago. That was though. two I weeks we ago. we did something last week. Uh, we went to Halfway Crooks. Maybe it was that. This yesterday. But yeah. I'm it excited. Was to be. It was like a few days ago. <laughs> it's a long weekend, so the days do uh, they blend in a yeah. different way. And uh, our podcast about the episode four was the one that just came out, even though we're recording episode seven, and that's the mm -hmm. one where I call it my sad podcast because mm -hmm. I came on and was like, Jesse, I just like can't handle a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. But I think things are starting to open up. But we have had like a really busy summer, just yeah. lots of activities, which is great. We're so privileged to be able to do lots of really cool things and travel and all of that great stuff. But I'm excited. I, to have here. I done? I don't think I've done a lot of traveling, but I will. I'll be going to Canada have. soon. But Canada, yeah, I have. Mm -hmm. I've already been to Savannah, and I'm about to go to Chattanooga next weekend. And 
saw my family nice. earlier in the year, which is there in Florida, five hours away. Yeah, the whole thing. But today we're talking about embodied rhetoric, which I don't know what that is. I've been waiting to ask you so we could discuss it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So should we dive in? So do you remember what rhetoric is? <laughs> yes, the persuasion, basically. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. all forms. I mm-hmm. think before the podcast, I would have said it was persuasion via speech. Mm-hmm. But as I am learning, it is more about persuasion and communication, no matter what that communication is. Yeah. And so the definition that I like to use as well, that it's a little more expansive than just persuasion, because sometimes that's not our only mm-hmm. goal, is the planned use of symbols to achieve goals. Right. And so what's key about symbols is that embodies in companies, mm-hmm. <laughs> that includes... <laughs> A lot more than just words. Right. And then also to achieve goals, which in, is a little less than like, I want you to agree with me or see things my way, but is like, what is my goal and can I achieve it with these means? And right. so, um, so we talked about media, like how mm-hmm. the media and advertising about visual and rhetoric. Visual rhetoric. I think that yeah. was the last episode, mm-hmm. episode six that yeah, y'all will have I believe heard. So. Um, and uh, really, I think, it, it it culminates with a lot of things that I w- we want to talk about today because we, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about we're going to talk about working at home. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. We're going to talk a little bit about women's labor in terms of like what our work world looks like mm-hmm. in the past and presently. Mm-hmm. We're also going to talk about our theories about Hollywood men. Yep, so love that. We're finally going to bring the feminist into the feminist. We're going to go going, places. On we're going to objectify men a little bit. Yes, yes just we a are. smidge, just we a get, tiny you know, bit. We we get to this is a feminist podcast, so <laughs> that's why we added the ish on there. <laughs> but so here's the thing: what knowing that, mm-hmm. what would you v- get venture that embodied rhetoric could mean? Oh, I actually think that since I've learned so much just talking to you, that I can nail this. Like mm-hmm. embodied rhetoric is just really going to be how you use your body or how you a body is used or communicates via oh, yeah. how a body is. Yeah. You just said that. That's a great That's definition. It. Or, or like facial mm-hmm. expressions or even like the way you dress or the way you all of that raise mm-hmm. an eyebrow at yep. somebody or the way the way your hair is. Yeah. All um, of that. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's saying mm-hmm. something. Do you know how like when you think about remember was it last year that the um Oh, who's the murderer from Wisconsin who eats the his murderer from victims. Wisconsin? You're not talking about Ted Bundy. He doesn't eat. No. Oh, uh, John Wayne Gacy? No, that's the clown. Not the clown. That's scary um, clown. Oh no, his wow. name is. He had a whole Netflix special. That's what I'm I trying know. To say. I know. And I just lost it. He. Okay. Um. He. Anyway, the point. What I'm trying to make here is, you know what that man looks like, and does he not look like a serial killer? <laughs> it's like his glasses and his Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey so. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But um, on the yes. other hand of the serial killer spectrum, Ted Bundy did not look like a serial In killer. In fact, and it was to his benefit, right? right? Mm-hmm. I think um, that's a great example of the ways in which we can maneuver our bodies in space and time to like mm-hmm. achieve goals, if mm-hmm. you will. So not to put it right out there with serial killers, but they have specific goals. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it, it also goes back a, a little bit uh, to something that we've talked about in various places across this podcast, which is also just having a body Mm -hmm. and all that that entails, like Mm -hmm. the exhaustion of like thinking about, am I too lumpy, too lumpy for what is a great question. But like, so this comes out a lot in to bring it a little bit briefly to academia. When we talk about embodied rhetoric, 
We're often talking about like the complications, especially given how hard it is to be a body and labor. And so it's a really interesting intersection of the personal and the professional of like, we try to be these things that are, you know, like what is your professional self and your personal self? And so a pregnant woman or a person with a disability, Mm -hmm. um, these are very much ways that, that um, um, without even our ability to, to stop them. If you have a visible disability, you're right. bringing that with you to a right. professional workspace in a way that is hard. It's always a, a con- it's always, um, it's always there. It's always you can't on, hide yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's not hidden. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I, I actually watched a really great um, Instagram reel recently that um, I won't remember who, whose it was, but it was essentially sort of um, asking us to consider a disability is actually just a very neutral thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But especially when we think about how our bodies are in professional spaces, that as well as like gendered norms and what is considered professional have always been things that plague professional spaces. Right. And so being a pregnant person in, you know, a professional space, you're just you you carry a lot of unspoken yeah. stuff with you. It's also the same with women in academia. So literally there are whole studies that will say that women are asked by students more for more things. There's mm-hmm. this goes back to emotional labor. It goes back to a lot of kinds of labor that are not expected of of male. And that it's literally simply from their embodiment, right? Of like right. being in a specific body that the space you're in expects certain things of you. Would it be fair to say that in terms of being presentable at work, the goalpost for women... Presentable. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're going to talk about right. it. I have notes. <laughs> the, when Let's say I'm a stuffy CEO and, you know, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. would it be fair to say that the goalpost for women is much, much higher to be, to come to work in a way that is currently deemed acceptable because Mm -hmm. not only do we need to dress nice, have Mm -hmm. it, you know, if we have open toed shoes, like nails need to be done, but we also have the added layer of hair and makeup. I think that men have all those things too, though. You think now I do think that historically it has, it we're in a more equalized place than perhaps we've been before. And I think the pandemic had a lot to do with like, I mean, a lot of the men we know have mm-hmm. gotten more athleisure in their, like, who do you know who's wearing like a suit to work? Well, that's dress though. That is your clothes. And that's, women have to do that as well. But I do think well, your that- your ex-husband was called out for his hair that being That is true. Long. I wasn't going to bring that up, but you I just, just brought it up. So. I just want to say, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, cl- I don't want to classify this as, as a double standard okay. as much. Now, right, I certainly right. think what has been true for women is that like- um, I have a wonderful quote about this too, of like thinking about the concept of professional informing or being associated with competence and capability. Mm-hmm. So if you're already having to prove yourself mm-hmm. and you look disheveled, mm-hmm. but that could be true for any marginalized person in a workspace too. That could be the same for a person of color. Like if you're having to feel like you're you're not already the normative and you're having to work extra hard right. then your appearance could also play into a perceived lack, less capability right. or like you care less or something like that. Oh, there's a whole can of worms here though. Yes. This is the most wormiest can I've ever seen. So here's the thing. This, this quote taken totally out of, it's the same book from, uh, I think last time actually my women at work book, cause I have another chapter. It's fantastic <laughs> on embodied rhetoric, but essentially it says given two candidates of equal capabilities, the prize invariably goes to the girl who looks like a winner. That I think is something that could be true regardless of gender. Right. But I think that is, that's an important, important part of embodied. You're right. You're right. And to to go back, because I doubt 
my ex-husband or his family listens to this podcast. So I will tell you, you brought it up. So let's tell the story. So I think it's like a factual thing. We can You're talk right. about it. You're right. Totally. <laughs> it happened. Um, basically, he was on many work calls. This is during the pandemic. No one is going to work. He is not on site. He did. He did travel. He's not seeing these people. It nope. is, this Zoom is only. webcam only. And mm-hmm. I will also give him credit that he actually would wear button downs and like he would he would show up at least top half ready. However, he had longer hair. I mean, he grew his hair out during the Lots pandemic. Lots people did. He was like, why? Changed their facial hair. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he was called out on it. They were like, hey, man, you're not looking. You need to clean up a little bit. And it's not even like I would like to point out that he wasn't like maintaining his no, hair. No, he was fine. There are people that have like strangly yeah. hair. He was still shaving. He was still. And and, and again, he was it wearing was curly, but he was down. like wearing it in a curl. Like it wasn't right. frizzy. And he was like, dude, like there are people that show up and just like they're pajama like they're white tees mm-hmm. like you can tell they're they have just like rolled out of bed and he's like mm-hmm. but because my hair is long like and he was like no i get it and i was like no i think that's terrible <laughs> so my brother works at um for a subsidiary of ups and um he until very recently actually I need to check with him if this is still accurate but he couldn't have facial hair for a very long time that is insane and it was because of a policy in solidarity with the drivers who also couldn't have facial hair question marks about why what either about of those people? things had to be a policy i agree there are religions Religion. i guess maybe you could get a religious exception but the other th- i just want to point out that this is 2023 i think he was able to grow facial hair in the pandemic i think that was like the first time when they started to sort of lessen up a lot of things Good heavens yeah i mean okay yeah. so you're so right it's not just mo- women however right. i think there's there's been inconsistencies and inequities in you know, we're still working through a lot of those, but this is by no means just a, because I think about, think about being a man too. Like embodied rhetoric is, is all people in bodies. <laughs> right, right. No, you're right. And I, that's why I do love this because I'm growing because I, I may be the one that slants a little bit more toward like men are terrible and everything is unequal. And you have to be like, Olivia, let's take it back down. <laughs> let, you get passionate. Let's, yeah, get I passionate. get passionate because I do think that I've struggled. You've struggled. I've just seen my female friends struggle, but looking Mm -hmm. around at the men in my life, I haven't seen them struggle the same way that I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes that clouds me. And I think they they might also not be as vocal about it to you. So that's that's true. Golly, I've been thinking about that a lot lately where I'm just somebody that I talk and talk and talk. Like you are always going to know where you stand with me. You're always going to hear every story about every single thing. Mm -hmm. And you know what hit me about this? We're side tangenting here is yesterday when I came by to get the tomatillos, (laughs) uh, you were like, yeah, I've had all these projects and I've been like working up until like 10 midnight on like these things. And I actually felt a little bit of shame because I was like, I talk all the time about how I have two jobs and I'm, I'm constantly working and every day after work, I have to go back to work. But like, you've been doing that too. I do a lot. I know. <laughs> and you've been doing it too. And I've just been like, well, the vocal one about it. And the one that's like, my life's so hard. But, but I like this week, I was definitely... Uh, messaging you on Slack a couple times because I was like, oh, Olivia, I fucked up. Like, I, I, like this week I was feeling really frustrated with some of my projects. So yeah. I was just like, I, things need to go well or the wheels are going to like come yeah. off this vehicle. Oh my gosh. And so I was feeling a little bit, but then I remembered that like a lot of these deadlines are fairly arbitrary. Like if we get our stuff into this editor one week later, the world's not going to fall apart. Right. Like publishing schedules are crazy long anyway. Anyway, all these things where I was like, okay, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. I went and took a walk. I got a shaken iced espresso <laughs> oat milk, yeah. brown sugar latte from Perfect. Starbucks. Amazing. Which is but, no modifications as the name of the drink. Yeah. But I think it just kind of throws into light that sometimes 
I'm very vocal. Like I always, I wear everything on my sleeve mm-hmm. and I would say you are less vocal. Like mm-hmm. you are not somebody that's constantly telling me like, oh my God, I was up to minute. Oh my God, da, da, da. Or, oh my God, mm-hmm. Ben did this or da, da, da. So I think sometimes it makes it look, the perspectives are skewed. And sometimes I do put you on a pedestal. I'm like, oh, Jesse's life's so amazing and she's no. so great. But it's because well, we've talked I'm about louder. This. Well, we've yeah. also talked about this before on this podcast of that. Like I do, one of the things that I do for myself that has really helped my feeling balanced is that I will spend some of my weeknights on additional scholarly projects that are not part of my job. And I really try to not on the weekends. And that has a wonderful effect of like a break. And so then by the next Monday, I'm like excited to work on those projects because I had time away from them. And so one of the things I've learned is like, if I give myself like, okay, just work on this for an hour and then you've, you've achieved it, even if it's not done because I know it'll be there waiting for me. And, and that helps me so much to feel like not like guilty on the weekends because I'm like, no, 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 this is my time. Right. And I know that I'll return to it in the week. Yeah. And that's been very helpful for me. So if that's helpful for anyone else, but I mean, I know I've, I've said that in some way before, but it does help me yeah. <laughs> feel yeah. less guilty. I mean, I break on weekends completely. Like I don't do any kind of work whatsoever, but for some reason, the weekdays, I just can't seem to get hmm. balanced. Um, but that's the our weekdays. Side I mean, but they have different balances. I oh think that's my totally gosh, normal. they get so hard. But back to embodied yeah. rhetoric. You actually just sort of opened my mind to that. That men and women and all people have mm-hmm. all people really have just as much. And I do think that I think it's a can of worms. So I don't know if we're if this is we good can, to go down. Go as big a can of worms. I'm thinking so. about you just in non-binary. Like I'm just yeah. thinking the the many things that we carry when we just physically go into the world can be right so much weight on its own. Yes. But my question to you is, and here's where my can of worms is. Mm-hmm. It's still a professional place, right? If we're if we're in an office, and where is the line? Where is the line of professionalism? Because mm-hmm. you you wouldn't argue that you can show up to work in pajamas, right? Mm-mm. You wouldn't argue that you could show up to work in lingerie. So, like, where is the line between oh, you know, like, where yeah. is the line between like, okay, obviously looking a little disheveled one day, or like having I mean, your you, hair and every makeup? T- every, I, I, because I, I listen know. back to our podcast, and you ask these big questions, I'm always like. You've asked an impossible question. <laughs> I think once again, you've asked an impossible Answer question. Me, because the, the response is for who and in what environment, right? So Yours. I, I, yeah. So Let's I, do you. I work in higher education mm-hmm. and I am, this is a very interesting question or way of thinking about it. I am a staff person. I work in administration, higher education and the person. standards are different. No, think I You're right. cover yeah. my tattoos at work. I have tattoos on my arms and I cover them. I might wear like a short, a short-ish, like a sleeve mm-hmm. that's coming almost to my elbow. Mm-hmm. So you can really only see like a couple bits of. Right. So here's the thing. Faculty have way different standards right. for what would be professional dress. You all have had a professor, if you've been to a college, who has been wacky. And you're like, <laughs> what are they doing? What yeah. are they doing? <laughs> In whatever way. Or they're just like really crazy or they dress crazy or they have blue hair or they have lots of tattoos or they have, they wear their Birkenstocks. I have started sometimes wearing my Birkenstocks to, to campus, especially in the summer. I have my feet get very hot. I cannot wear like flats. But the question I have a is, very how do you hard time. feel about like how do you feel that that well, standard the is, is the pandemic also contributed to being a very strange like what first of all what is fashion? We're aging, so what is fashion in your thirties? I hate fashion in my thirties. What is fashion in a post-pandemic professional workspace? And also, this is the kind of thing where I feel like workplaces are probably a little bit like, where do, what do we put out rules? Like, mm-hmm. it's very strange. And I think, you know, we have, I think a lot of affordances that have been granted from the pandemic of like, 
things being a little easier. Um, you know, maybe like work has gotten a little more flexible for some people. We will definitely talk about this today. And I got shared an article from one of our listeners who's like, you haven't talked about work from home yet and how it's a feminist issue. So we will discuss that today. But it's it's essentially one of those things where like the days where I can where I don't have to think about my appearance as much and I can work from home, like do feel. Yes, of course. Great to me. But I also really do love like getting dressed and going to the office and being able to like wear stuff out in public. And then but but, you know. But then also I do feel like we haven't really there's I I don't know. I don't know. It feels unfair because I so I remember talking to my mom like early, early days. Hi, mom. I don't know if she's still listening to the podcast, but here we are um, about like tattoos in the workplace. Yeah. And I think someone. Oh, yeah. I, I would like to clarify. No mm-hmm. one has ever told me that I have to hide my tattoos. Right. Yeah. I just do. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. I didn't even my know you colleagues the other day. They like because it was really warm. We were doing a May master and they, mm-hmm. they were like wearing tank dresses. And I wear tank dresses with a cardigan over them Mm -hmm. because I have tattoos. And I'm like, what? And then part of me is like, am I doing this because my arms look bigger? Or am I doing this because I have tattoos? Or what? What Mm. is the line? And I truly don't know how to ask my boss and be like, girl, can I just show my tattoo? She has an arm tattoo. And she wears cardigans as well. Mm. So sorry to cut you off. But I just wanted to clarify. No one has ever told me that I can't show my tattoos. Interesting. But that's a mental burden that you're taking on constantly. You're you're every morning when you wake up and you have to decide what you want to put on your body. Yeah. It's an extra layer. And of course, now we're complaining this because like we have tattoos. It's like it was our choice to get tattoos. No, 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 no. I I want to I want to cut back to that a little bit because I also think it's like one of those things where there's like what is professional, and and it's this trapping of like oh you won't be able to get the job that you want. Well, that's yeah. obviously not prevented us from being well, successful, right? But. It, it, I think it's just become one of those things where people are like, did it really matter? Yeah. But well, it did take us like 50 years to where I was going that is that the industry that I work in, which is design and creative, mm. it's almost it's completely flipped. It's weirder if I don't have tattoos. Mm-hmm. Like it, most of my colleagues, like my own boss is like mm-hmm. totally tatted up, like full sleeves. It would be weird it's stranger to not have tattoos or to not have like an edgy style in, in my industry. Yeah, and yeah. like that doesn't Which is feel weird fair. Because you do actually kind of work in a corporate space now, like mm-hmm. more so than before. Oh, and they're all tatted. Everybody That's is so just interesting. Full. Yeah. My boss shows mm-hmm. up in like her tanks and she's just full. And cause she's like, I don't care. Like she's definitely somebody who is bucking the status. So quo. I have an, I have a question. I'm wondering. So when I first started in higher ed, I had some tattoos fewer than I do now, but they were on my inner arms. And I, it was funny because I would wear, um, I would, I worked in career services. And so it was like, it was blazer city. It was blazers. I used to wear like heels and wedges to work. I don't know who I was. (laughs) (laughs) The pandemic proved for me that I will never wear a high heel again. Like I go to weddings. Ah. I wear, I wear flats. I wear boots. I wear something that is not listen sandals, hopefully if it's summer, but I would, like take off my blazer you know so like people would be like oh you're like a different person yeah <laughs> and that is a good example of embodied rhetoric of like the things that you are showing or not showing and when you choose to show them if you can yeah. if you have the privilege of being able hiding in a disability is another example of like if you have you know if you are if your disability isn't visible to people sometimes you have to work a little harder to get the accommodations that you need like it's a weird strange space of like how we engage as mm-hmm. a per, as a fleshy 
thing. Yeah, you know? which is exhausting and I hate it. There's a movie that you just saw for the first time recently that deals with this topic. Yes, Aaron Brockovich. Yes, I love, I've seen the movie a thousand times. I absolutely love it. I don't know how true it is. I think I looked up that like some of it's not quite well, right. Well, I think it's just sort of a, I mean, it was filmed, it was written and filmed like not that long after the actual lawsuit mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that occurred. So it was like all, it was happening in the early 90s and the movie right. came out in the late 90s. But so. to summarize for anybody that hasn't seen it, and this movie is also super old, so it's not a spoiler it's based but, on a real person. Based on a real person. But Aaron basically, <laughs> she shows up to this law office and she's got like tits out, cleavage, short skirts. and actually can, one- I, can I backtrack and say what the actual context? Because I didn't had never seen this movie before. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, is she a lawyer? She's just a lawyer who dresses hot. Mm-mm. No, no, no. She was in a car accident leaving. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, the movie has it perfectly as a job interview. She's leaving right. a job interview. She gets like sideswiped by a doctor or something Mm -hmm. fancy and then she loses her uh like injury lawsuit and so and then so she's injured and um she can't find employment she has three kids um she's been divorced twice i think and she goes back to that law firm is like you're gonna hire me yeah she just starts working there she picks Mm -hmm. up but the whole time like the other women don't like her and then even her boss he's like you need to start dressing better. And yeah. she's like, I like the way I dress. It's a great example, though, of of 90s feminism, which we haven't spent a lot of time talking about on this show. But it was it was a conscientious, like, I'm going to be sexy for me. Mm-hmm. That was somewhat different than the way that sex and sexuality right. was characterized in the second wave. If you remember back from our early episodes, where we talked about second wave feminism. 90s feminism is sometimes considered third wave and is very much a, like, I'm going to wear a mini skirt and I don't care what you say about it. It was definitely a, a sort of a response to some of the Anita Hill, like sexual assault is still a thing in the workplace. We're not going to, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to wear what we want to wear and it's your responsibility to not sexually harass me. Yeah. Which is, you know, still a aspired to goal, but <laughs> yeah. Or like the makeup thing. I always, makeup stresses me out. I like wearing like a little bit of light makeup, but mm-hmm. I also sometimes get really angry that, it the even expectation exists. is yeah, that it you even exists because yeah. like I now yeah. like because, I have rosacea, but a man that has rosacea doesn't wear makeup to cover right, their rosacea. Right. So why would I? Co- right. Yeah. They could though. I mean, men are wearing makeup more and more every day, like at least some like foundation and we should all wear sunscreen, honestly, guys. Um, but I sometimes just get like angry that the world even ex- like it even exists. Mm-hmm. Because like the fact that I know what my face looks like with makeup and without makeup makes me mm-hmm. mad. Remember in I think the last episode, one of the things that we started talking about that led us to embodied rhetoric was the advertisement shift in rhetoric yep. to say, oh, from like, you're ugly, wear this, this yeah. will fix it to you're beautiful, wear this. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. the same, but it's different. You're still selling me lipstick. Like you're still, Correct. you're still, and there's, <laughs> I, I am somebody that I have an addictive personality and unfortunately shopping falls into that. And I, I do get persuaded by advertising all the time. Like if mm-hmm. it's like a lip shade or like a tank top or something and I'm like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. that looks so amazing. And I want to look that amazing too. And now I just have so Very much rhetorically stuff. Very savvy. Yeah, I have so much stuff and, oh God, every day I'm just like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And I I actually also sometimes hate how I like how my face looks with makeup. Like it makes me, like I'm like, I look great right now, but it took me an extra 10 minutes to apply it and I don't even mind applying it. You know what I really hate is taking, taking it, off. it off. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hate it. It makes me, that's why I keep makeup wipes at my nightstand because like I absolutely hate going into the sink and having to scrub my face. And so I just like, 
casually like wipe it all off but then you have like raccoon eyes sometimes in the next morning if you didn't and get it all what happens if you don't the risk of looking old i know i mean literally just, just the 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 whole the whole in our headness of i think all people about dealing with your aging body and wrinkles on your skin and how to look less old right i i do struggle with it I also feel like it's it's a blessing to be alive. So like aging is a privilege. Absolutely. And so I, I but that doesn't make me love some of my <laughs> lumps and wrinkles more, but I'm still <laughs> just like, okay, I'm here. I'm still here. Yeah. I'm a fleshy body and I have to live with this yep. every day and try to feel good in the things that I wear. And anyway, it's, yeah. a, it's a whole thing. So to bring up aging and now some pop culture, mm-hmm. the Martha Stewart cover. Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that? Because yes, on one hand, she's an older woman that was, you know, on the cover of what was it, Sports Illustrated? I don't remember the swimsuit mm, yep. issue. Yeah, like a big but, deal. But, um, you know, neither here nor there. I'm not going to place positive or negative on it. She is photoshopped a little bit, and she does have the privilege of having Botox, of having all of these mm-hmm. things. So it's like on one hand, yes, thank you for showing an older woman on a cover. But on the other hand, like she's clearly edited. Like it's clear that they sort of made her still look youthful so like what is youth and what is age? it just it just confuses things it just yeah. made it a really confusing argument to see her on the cover interesting i thought she looked great i thought like she looked a, great too but the, mm-hmm. the controversy is mm-hmm. she looks great cost, yeah. for a rich mm-hmm. woman that has also been touched mm-hmm. up heavily but i think there i mean there are plenty for every woman who's had work that looks great there are like 10 that don't so i don't i mean Photoshop is different you know that's okay that's a a separate thing but I just mean like even the ability to like go do Botox I think Botox sounds terrifying like every time I think about the benefits I also think about like the fact that I'm putting the most hazardous chemical possible into me and yeah I just get very nervous of like I don't I don't like to take more things than I yeah I don't know it's just it's just a whole thing I'm like I will just I'll just have wrinkles it's fine yeah the one thing that I did I don't know if you remember this but I tried to get my eyeliner tattooed on my mm, yeah my eyelids yeah um it did not work because i oh you had had i had had accutane accutane so the thing about this for the folks at home um i spent a ton of money to get because i again makeup it makes me mad i think i look better with makeup so it just makes me mad so i was like you know what i'm just gonna go do the tattoo i'm gonna go get the eyeliner tattooed mm-hmm. on my eyes so that way i just forever have makeup and uh, it came off in two weeks because since i did accutane it changed me to have my skin accutane cells- is a drug that Yes, sorry, it's for acne. So Accutane is a very, 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 very serious drug because it does change your DNA, which I'm, that's a subtweet right there. Um, (laughs) So if you've done Accutane and you are anti-vax, that's what I'm referencing right here. It's it's contradictory. Um, So Accutane does two things. The first thing it does is it increases your skin cell turnover. It makes your skins turn over much, much, much faster. That would also impact your tattoos, right? Would they heal differently? These are on a different layer of skin. Ah, interesting. So my eyelids were too thin to have the same effect. I was worried about it with the olive branch because I had had, got that after um, Accutane, but it's, it's deeper in your skin. So that Got skin it. doesn't turn over, right? Because everybody's skin cells do turn over mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. The second thing it does is it uh, makes your pores smaller. So your pores cannot hold enough oil to cause acne. Got it. These are really serious things that happen. This is like changing your body structure, makes your pores smaller and makes your skin cells turn over. And I guess this is like crazy embodied. Like I did mm-hmm. this really serious drug. And in fact, mm-hmm. um, when Voluntarily, I- Voluntarily. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. These are things that we do. Um, <laughs> I've, as I've a, been straightening my teeth for like five yeah. years straight. <laughs> uh, and as a woman, 
uh, the Accutane packs, you cannot get pregnant on Accutane. Mm-hmm. You cannot. Birth defects. It right? will, it will mm-hmm. defect yeah. your baby. It will kill that child. Like you just cannot. So they make you be on two different types of birth control. You have to take a pregnancy test constantly, right? It was a mm-hmm. huge, massive thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I did it for like seven months. Um, but anyway, so I tried to do the eyeliner and it just came off in two weeks because my eyelids were too thin and the skin cells turned over too fast and mm-hmm. it just flaked off. That's crazy. I was devastated. I was like, great. Now I can't even do and all that money. <laughs> but I mean, I think overall you'd rather have clearer skin than have eyeliner. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even the clear skin as, you know, shout out to everybody who is dealing with acne out there and the cystic. It actually hurts. Like cystic acne mm-hmm. also is painful on your face and then mm-hmm. it gets aggravated and then it gets inflamed. Like mm-hmm. having a bump or two every now and again is like, okay, whatever. But like this stuff was like deep in my chin and yeah. it just would like throb and it was just like really terrible. So shout out to everybody who's dealing with it. But I ended up doing Accutane, which is embodied rhetoric. Like I made a choice to have my face look a different way. Right. It sure is. Yeah. What a deep thing. Um, there's a, so I guess to transition briefly to talking about like labor and working from home, Mm. it doesn't not have to do with all the things we've been talking about or very much does because it, it, in 2020, we had a pandemic. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Did we? And um, lots of people switched to working from home. Um, and then I have experienced, I think, more than you have because you were independently employed and now your mm-hmm. business is good with flexible work. And mm-hmm. some people I know have had that and some people I know have not have had to return to work in some cases every day. Um, but really what we learned was there was a lot we could do virtually and what we also learned was that we there were a lot of things that we were expecting of ourselves that we didn't have to actually spend time on. One of which is a commute, which right commuting is unpaid labor. Two is like having to prepare prepare your lunch every day, or think about breakfast, or how you're going to feed yourself, or do what do I do? You know, all these other things I think about, as well as like how do I what do I do with my hair? Like when I'm working, or sometimes I'm super jealous because like Ben works from home all the time, and he can like shower at two p.m. because that's like a convenient time to take a shower. He can fit in a workout. He can fix lunch whenever he wants to he can it's just it's like you have all these considerations that are removed from you that I when you are going in you're still thinking about and then add that add to that like children in a commute and thinking about their food and their outfit and their mental well-being and getting them to somewhere on time and everything just gets exponentially harder which is why my friend Holly, shout out to Holly, who's a listener uh, and also a quilter and a wonderful person. Um, she sent me this article and she was like, girl, you have not talked about uh, work from home. Work from home is yeah. a feminist issue mm-hmm. yet. So I'm going to need you to remedy that. Um, and the headline, the headline is great because it says um, women won't return to a system that hasn't served them to spare the feelings of powerful men. Ooh. So... Yeah, one thing that this author points out, and it's in Fortune magazine from May 2023, um, Aaron Grau, the author, points out that one thing that was really, really interesting about the shift to work from home that I had actually never really considered before is the way in which it um, her children get to see the parts of her job, both good and bad, mm. that was separate from... So to go back to the concept of embodied, right? We're bringing our personal selves into the professional world, but they're also like not bringing a professional space into personal space. Right. And that has consequences too, as we've seen with like the mushiness of what is professional and what is personal now and where can I wear my trainers and where can I not wear my trainers. Right. But also like for people who 
you know, maybe her daughters were never seeing her as a leader or, you know, like a both the positive parts that they might get to see her mom, their mom working and also see the harms or dangers of working as well. It a little bit demystifies the question of labor, I think, for children, which is a really interesting thing that I had not considered before. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. She also talks uh, literally just about like the the whole premise of the, the work arrangements that we have been using are were made at the same time as essentially the Model T and how sheer much stuff, not only in terms of like who bears weight in the home mm-hmm. in the workplace, like what is the concept of a breadwinner? What are, um, what do modern families look like? The internet, like the sheer number of things that we have that that have changed and our work structures ultimately haven't changed um is is essentially a a, a crime like and, no i agree all the leaders are saying wow we need to do it because this this and this and it's like actually evidence actually, shows quite a different thing yeah yeah and side tangent i know this isn't embodied right this is more like yeah. Work. yeah if we need to go on to the next episode we can but um <laughs> we have so many we can just yeah yeah we get to do Even this until we want to stop the 40-hour work week mm-hmm. is yeah, it's part of it yep. it's That's ancient it is ancient yep. it's like it doesn't make sense and people are like well how well it's like no, no 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 they've done studies that you get just as much done in four days and not four days is in 10 hour four days nope four as days in as in eight hour four yeah. days as yep. in 32 because yep. you fill the container you're in that's how you that works. You fill the container you're in. Yeah. Brilliantly said. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I do my best. If I'm working at home, I will do work that I have to do. And then when I don't have work to do, I can like do something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that encompasses lots of other things. And being trusted to be able to manage my time and get my work done is like the it's it's the um, ideal goal, right, right? Of a workplace. It's like trust your employees to do their jobs. Uh, well, I will also say that. So right now I literally could not get my work done in 32, unfortunately, unfortunately, because I'm the only designer right now. We're hiring more people, but, but the, uh, you just said you're supposed to hire well, more people. It's yes. going to help. However, so mm-hmm. let's say I have design projects A, B, and C, and mm-hmm. they're deciding how to schedule these design projects A, B, and C. Well, they scheduled them knowing that me, Olivia, had a 40 hour work week. They would have been just completely scheduled differently. Mm-hmm. Had, like these systems can change with us. Like right. maybe so, design so the argument there isn't yeah. that. Yes, you have you have an amount of work that wouldn't mm-hmm. matter that much if you shifted it into thirty two exactly. hours a week. Design like, projects going to get it done. Is fine mm-hmm. to be done next quarter or a different month. These mm-hmm. are arbitrary dates that we're setting and on if ourselves. If things become new priorities, we reprioritize. That's like how work works anyway. That is how things yeah. happen. It's it's insane to think that like we're still gripping these archaic structures for, yeah. for, for what? Well, it's, it's also goes back to a thing we've said so many times on this podcast, which is that it, if we are trying to fit everything else into the other hours of the week when people used to be around to help us do those things right. and are not, and the idea, even the argument in some white feminism causes of like, oh, if you're CEO, just hire out someone to cook and clean for you. Well, that's not solving the problem. Yeah. It's just, just making more domestic labor. labor. To- yeah, it's, it's not, <laughs> I mean... Anyway, so it like doesn't that doesn't solve anything. And in fact, what it does is it 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 continues that myth that we are productive 40 hours a week all of the time we're anyway. Not. I definitely and we're not. Am we not. have seasons, we have moods, we have like, you know, projects, like mm-hmm. things that are gonna ebb and flow. And that's how humans so the idea of having to do it all, right? Remember you were like, Jesse, how do I do it all? You don't because you, you don't. weren't designed to. Yeah. So 
Instead, if we're like trying to fit pockets in here and there to like possibly get anything done, when in the first place we weren't we weren't designed to work 40 hours a week sitting in a desk. We were designed to be busier sometimes, mm-hmm. less busy other times, right. having other people in our community work like helping us achieve things. And like it's very artificial. I think it's really empowering for you and I to even have these conversations like there are people out there who aren't having this and they just feel like they can't get it all done and that is why we have a big problem with depression and anxiety in this country right now is because there's not enough structures and support systems so if you're listening you're not alone jesse and i deal with this as well Mm -hmm. and i would consider us both very highly successful people uh (laughs) right and i just it's we have our days yeah (laughs) i just um I think now's a good time for me to talk about what I brought in, the book yep. that I brought in. So I recently was in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, I went to a museum, the Tell Fair, and I walked upon this giant photograph. And it's huge. I mean, it, it spans the whole wall. And I'm with the guy that I'm dating. Bless him, because I started sobbing. Um, Olivia doesn't like, really cry. Oh, no, I don't I want to point out that she's she might seem like the more emotional person yeah. <laughs> but i cry at Publix commercials and olivia does not cry she'll watch like yeah. you know anyway so jesse and i have been friends for 10 years and she's heard me she's not seen me cry i don't think but you have heard me cry one time because i called you when i had covid and i felt really sick and i thought i was gonna die and i was like mm-hmm. i had a horrible covid experience and i was like jesse take my cats and she was yeah, like are she you was, okay? she was in a state yeah so jesse's never even like physically seen me cry um I'm not a crier. And I look at this photograph and I've never even cried at art in a museum ever. Like I've always been like, oh, this is all fun and cool and great. And then I was like, oh my God. And the Which longer- I think is funny because we just spent time talking about how like art makes us more human. I, I know. think on the Catherine the Great episode. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Having an emotional response to yeah. art. <laughs> but it's so big. And I just kept looking at all the details and kept looking and kept looking and kept looking. And suddenly I ju- it just- I was like, that's me. Oh, man. That's some powerful rhetoric. Oh my God. So the the um it's by the it's a photographer, Gregory Crudson, and I will obviously put it up everywhere. Um, and it's this woman and it's a photograph. It looks like a painting. It's really wide scale, I want to tell you. Like there's you can so see big. it's not just yeah. her, you can see so much about what's around yeah. her. And I think that's key. And she's in her like nightgown, which I think is embodied in rhetoric, because like she's at this point where she's like, well, No, nope, she's in a bedroom. I'm just literally you can in see my the bathroom yeah. behind her. She has dug up a rose bush in her yard. And you can tell because there's bloody, dirty footprints all over her room. And she has torn it apart and she has laid the not the, the not a gnarly the root Blob system of, yeah. on the pillow. And she is clutching the branches and the rose petals and they are just all around her feet. And I just looked at it and it just represented everything I have been feeling for the past couple of years. Just all of this beauty and potential just ugly and gnarled in her hands and even the blob of roots like roots technically represent potential and growth and power and strength but they're so ugly when they are pulled from a place that are not Mm. where they're supposed to be and it just it was her what i got out of it was her saying this was our potential this was my potential this was everything that i needed it to be and it was beautiful but it is no longer and when Mm. you dig it up and when you crunch it up and when you place it on this thing it just feels sad and it just it's just it 
doesn't feel right. And the whole photograph is just sad. And you can feel the sense of overwhelm. There's pill bottles all over the place. Mm-hmm. And not pill bottles in the way of like drugs, but pill bottles in the way that I've had pill bottles, yeah, like pain. Lexapro and mm-hmm. pain pills or like your De- anti-anxiety. I mean, pain, I mean pain both physically and, right, right, right. and emotionally. Yeah, yes. like mm-hmm. your anti-anxiety mm-hmm. or like even yeah. your birth control and like mm-hmm. all of these failed attempts at changing or, fixing. you know, oh my God. And I just was like sobbing in this I'm with a new guy. I'm in a new place. I'm in a public space and I'm like sobbing in this freaking museum. And I like, I tuck myself to the corner and I'm just like, you know, it just was really emotional. And I texted Jesse. I was like, well, I sobbed at the the art museum today. (laughs) Art museum. (laughs) But it was fascinating to me to see how the posture of this woman Mm -hmm. is everything. Mm -hmm. It is right. I mean, she is communicating what has just happened. And even the, the, photograph itself being in the space and where it was mm-hmm. just so impactful and meaningful to mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and that is the last time I will cry in 2023 <laughs> I mean <laughs> the year is still young you 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 also bring up thing themes that we have discussed before as well related to even um our episode on tacky culture or what is good culture and like what emotes feelings or is is music rhetoric and you know what is visual rhetoric and all these things to where I think it's you know that photograph was able to share so much with you Mm -hmm. and also that photograph means something different to you than it might to the author or to the you know to the photographer to any other person who walks through and is in a different place Mm -hmm. in their life Like, Mm -hmm. like what I love about any kind of art is that once it is in the world, it gets to have a life of its own that in many ways, the artist no longer has control of. Right. You know, oh, I agree with and, that. And yeah. I think that is such a, such a wonderful part of, I guess also just, just rhetoric in general, not, not necessarily are embodied, but, but also bodies are pieces of art, you know, like when bodies appear in art, mm-hmm. you know, they're also telling us mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a lot of things we can surmise from how that person looks or, the, what they're right. wearing or where they are right. or what their body looks like. Yeah. And so it affected me because it struck so many of the chords that I have been dealing mm-hmm. with. But also I, I want to go back to the, like the work from home issue mm-hmm. um, and the article because I have more questions about that and mm-hmm. how it is a feminist issue. And I think that Jesse and I do have a lens that's quite different from a lot, from many, right? We're two white women. We're two childless yeah. white women. So if we struggled, I cannot even imagine Correct. how other people struggled with with kids or as a person of color or as people with disabilities like how people had to navigate those mm-hmm. things right everyone has a different journey but there's also people that had it better than us there yep. are people who were like oh this is great and my job does now doesn't know that i only need to work 20 hours and then they found these hobbies yep. and they were making bread like pe- the people making bread during the pandemic i was like i'm running a business that like thrived <laughs> online like everyone was needing websites at yeah. the same time so, so I went nuts, but there's a, a wonderful related to this. Um, I've been I, I'm working on an edited collection. I don't think I've talked about this uh, with one of my professors about women in labor in the pandemic. And we got lots of contributors to write wonderful pieces about what their experience was. And then I am I've been currently working in the last few weeks and months on pulling together all of these themes from from what this book is supposed to be about and what and, and who it's for. And I'm writing the introduction to do this. And so I've been reading other people's ruminations on the pandemic too and what's sort of been out there, especially about academia. And in particular, in 2021, I fought pretty hard. It was one of the reasons that I left my job at my previous institution was because they were really being 
assholes about return to <laughs> <Jesse>. work. <laughs> uh, I said as much in many People could put together the meetings. pieces as to where you work and where you did work. Um, I guess you're fine. You my boss it. absolutely knew my feelings because I made them clear in many staff meetings. Wow. And people would people were like, Jesse, thank you so much for speaking up. But I was the only one speaking up. I was. They were like four days a week in the office. And I was like, no. Why though? No. And I think... A lot of the feedback we were getting, and my boss was a woman, um, was uh, that it well, it works well for me, right? Therefore, it works well. Like, why Except, wouldn't it work uh, well for you? Perfect, perfect phrasing. If However, it worked, yeah. and that's true for like men, like a lot of leaders, I think have that, and possibly generational, right? Where it's like, no, this is how I work. This is where I can work well. I don't work well at home. Okay, mm-hmm. that's great. That is on everyone's experience. So. I was very vocal about this. It was very much like, no, we need to be here for the students. Well, it turns out a lot of my students also like meeting virtually. It's very convenient for them. They can meet wherever they are. They can come in person. I just want to clarify. I'm not suggesting that I shouldn't be there in person, mm-hmm. but I can do all my in-person stuff two days, two days a, week. a week. Yep. That's my preferred. My current job is still sort of three-ish days and it's really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> Jesse, <laughs> I want people to listen. I'm out to listen. Oh, no. I don't hide my feelings about this. You I'm sure very don't. particular. Even though I'm the more talkative one, I was also the one that was like, we can't talk about sex. My mom's listening. And you're I, like, I hope my family listens to this. Yeah. But also, like, if any of my work colleagues are listening, this won't be new information to them. Okay. So I, I, you know, I did actually ask my boss this week. Yeah. I was like, so our summer work from home policy is probably just that when we come in, when we have in-person meetings. Yeah. Mm. two days in the office i would just like to clarify that i work at a private university in which in the summer 90 percent of the students don't even live here they're not here Mm. i can offer in-person appointments and no one will come everyone wants to meet virtually because they're all doing things they're all elsewhere we've done it we have existed and i can advise people all summer about their writing yeah virtually it's great because we can share screens and look at what we're writing together and talk through things like It is. I'm like, ask me what my job is, and then you tell me if I need to be in person. Now, Mm -hmm. teaching is different. I love teaching in person. the The means. It's like, let me do the things that work well online. What did we learn from the pandemic? Anyway, these are. You can tell this is my soapbox. I like. I don't know why we're doing this. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think that um, two things I want to note. The first thing is that I think that internet and Wi Fi is now like a human right. It's a human right. So Mm -hmm. government, like, we need to be having that. Should be in the water. It needs to be. All of that. All Whatever that. satellite you Devices guys need to put up in there. Students. Like the, I was actually at Dancing Goats the other day and I was having trouble connecting to the Wi-Fi and it like meant I couldn't work. And I was like, wow, I just like ducked off of work at 2 p.m. so that I could work at this coffee shop for like three hours. And I now I can't. I good can't work. Well, Cause when do we get to say that anymore? Truly, right. like the power's out, can't do anything. Yeah, no, can't. Yep. Oh no, I would be behind. I also want to go back yes, to something else. It's okay to be behind sometimes. Again, if you're like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I lost power at my work location. I will check back in you're with you tomorrow. Right. You're right. But then also next week is like Memorial Day is Monday. And then I'm actually out Friday. So I only have three days to work. So, and all of us is like, so, so it's like, oh, okay. adjust you're right. the deadlines. You're right. What are the deadlines you're for? You're right. You're right. Oh, one of my people did actually, our project manager is amazing and did get me. Anyway. The other thing I want to talk about is something you kind of skirted in here is that the commute is unpaid labor. Oh my God. I but, strongly stand so by that claim. I hope my family's not listening. If mom, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm, I also I'm pay for, for parking at my job. Oh God, I don't even get started on that. <laughs> I remember as a child, my mom, I rode the bus for a little bit. 
But then if my mom ever had to, if I ever did like after school activities or X, Y, Z, my mom has got to pick you up. Why wasn't it my dad? Well, he was probably at work. My mom also worked. Shut up. Yeah, my mom worked. My, both my parents worked. My mom actually had a more like stressful, like hard, this emotionally reminds, challenging this job. Me, this gives me very like mommy track vibes, you know, like in jobs where they'll be like, oh, she just needs like kind of a whatever job so that she can leave whenever she needs to, to like, like work with her kid. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, that sort of concept of a, of a place. Yeah. I don't know. I just remember it was always my mom being kind of stressed or like it was like after work and she was tired and you know, all it's these her things. second it, shift. We yeah. talked about this. Yeah. The yeah. second shift. Yeah. So like not only do you have this unpaid labor of having to get into a vehicle and get to a space? Mm -hmm. And also, of course, it is a privilege to even live in the city. Like going back to these people who have different experiences, like not everyone can afford to live. We're in Atlanta. Not everyone can afford to live five minutes away from their job. So the commute is like an hour oh, long. I live in the city. I still don't live five minutes away from right. my job. Are you oh crazy? Oh my God, exactly. <laughs> but so like it takes people me 30 are like, minutes to get to work. Yeah, and that you live right here. So people who are yeah. what, we, what we call in Atlanta OTP, which is <laughs> outside the perimeter. <laughs> it's itp and otp and admittedly i'm an itp snob i know i'm the worst but i pay for it it's fine sometimes when ben and i are like oh they're going where we're not going <laughs> we're so bad we're so bad but I'll, also if it's itp and then i'm like oh the parking's not good there i'm yeah, not going I'm like where is the parking is like, on street listen is it i i'm too old to like i'm not gonna mess with bad parking oh i also have started going places or like intentionally skipping breakfast or a lunch because I want to eat dinner at like five. I love because eating dinner at we five. we went to Gaja yesterday at 5 it's p.m. It's when you get the good Nobody bar Nobody was seats. there. I mean, no one. I just said that on the podcast so now yeah. everyone's going to yeah. go to the, go to the bar at five. <laughs> Please do not go to Gaja at 5 p.m. Um, but Don't Atlanta, go to Banshee at 5 p.m. Yeah, Atlanta kind of comes alive, I, I would say, at like 8 p.m. Like that's when everything is like slam packed and like it's hard to get anywhere. So mm -hmm. it's like, no, I'll be an old I person and I'll show done. up. I love being able to go home yeah, by eight. Absolutely. It is my mid thirties. Right. Honestly, it's peak. It's the best. It's, I love yeah, we're it. gonna hang out today and we will not be staying past like nine PM. It's gonna be like <laughs> nine. I'm gonna be like, all right, all right. Yeah. Oh, today's Memorial Day weekend. We're yeah. we're grilling hot dogs. Um so. but yeah. So the unpaid labor of that and then the 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 mothers everywhere that then also have to go the extra shift to go get the kids or go do the thing or go mm -hmm. do whatever. And then the guy is like it kind of reminds me of Mad Men, which we talked about previously. Where it Don Draper reminds does me of our friend who made a spreadsheet. I, oh, will, I won't we name. won't call her friend now, but she was like talking to her husband, Look like at the things I do versus yep. the things that you do. And yep. we both have full-time jobs. Yep. Like, also didn't your job her. is actually at home. Yeah. Like didn't believe her. He's like, no, we do equal things. And actually my ex was the same way. He was like, no, I, I do the dishes just as much as you do. And I was like, that's false. I, <laughs> I know it's false. I feel Factually that it's false. inaccurate. Like I will watch you over this next week and short freaking enough. Who did the dishes more? Who did the laundry? Who did the grocery shopping? Who did the, you know, all of it? And it's just like, oh, well, you're better at it, which is that's weaponized incompetence. Mm. Or, oh, I would prefer to go to this other grocery store, which is 30 minutes away. And I'm mm -hmm. like, we don't have time for that. We don't mm -hmm. have time mm -hmm. to go to the cheaper grocery store. I've got to make dinner tonight. I, like, I have to feed us. Like, yeah, <laughs> turns out dinner every night until you die. Yeah. Dishes has to happen constantly. Constantly, um, constantly, constantly. I got, we got slightly off track and I know this is all related, but I did want to finish my point about uh, reading this, all these other experiences in the mm -hmm. pandemic and in particular one, like, so I feel very fired up as a, as an able-bodied person about working mm -hmm. from home and the things it allows me to do. Mm -hmm. This uh, person, um, Paul Bones, he's a scholar and he wrote what's actually really great about this entire collection of like, I think it was in the rhetorics of multimodal 
something, but it's a journal. And essentially they did this whole collection of like, if, you, if if all you could manage to write about your pandemic experience was a series of screenshots of text messages between you and a scholar who were both struggling to do a project, like it's mm-hmm. very multimodal in that it's not narratively told in like one form. And his finished form of his article is a Google Doc, and the night title of it is "Draft Needs Name Underscore One." <gasps> I okay. love that. And already he says, "How many pages slash words slash characters does it take for me to prove myself and earn the right to stay the fuck home?" He has disabilities. He writes openly about basically the the sheer amount of productivity he's been able to do while being allowed to work from home. And, and you know, this is a person in particular that, you know, we had like, our university had specific accommodations. Like you could file to say like, there's reasons I need to stay at home more despite the fact that we're quote returning to work. And some of those were approved, but a lot of them were not. And he, his goes into that world of like, it takes me more physical and mental energy to get myself, my body out of the door than it does for you. This is an equity issue. Also, like, what is, well, how much evidence do you need that I can do my job well from where yeah. I am? And also this kind of question of like, um, being in a space for the sake of being in the space that feels like an outdated argument. So it's yeah. like what, and I, and I struggle with this too. Um, and it also has to do with the, um, proximity bias, right. Of like bosses who are like, Oh, they're in the office more, therefore doing more work. Yes. Guys, I can play solitaire at my computer and you don't you know. will never like, know. <laughs> you will never know. So just because I'm in my office, does not mean I have the same mental space or right. that I'm working being in my office but he's sort of he really openly talks about the challenge that it can be of like he's like I will be on campus if I have on campus meetings and and why do I need to be there if right. I'm not and we've learned you know even when my job um, we interview about 60 students a year for the Fulbright program every September my Septembers are crazy and we pull faculty from all of those and we've started we're not going back to in-person interviews because Zoom is so much more efficient for it's getting so faculty efficient. to come and do these Zoom interviews and the and in the case of some of our awards, people will eventually be interviewed in person. So it, it does benefit the students to practice ben, email um, being interviewed in person. But Fulbright is not that way. You would only ever be interviewed also on Zoom because your country people are in the country that you're they're not going to fly you right. to Spain to interview. They're going to interview you on Zoom. Yeah. And so we mimic that. And the thing is, it's also that much easier to get faculty because they're like, why do this in person? It doesn't make any sense. So. Yeah. I, um, my position that I have right now, I won't, we won't name companies, but mm-hmm. it's fully remote. They don't have an office at all. They actually started in the pandemic. So there was mm. no reason for them to a have huge, re- yeah. a huge theory that I have for why people are so uppity about this is because they don't, they have, they don't want to, ju- they don't want to possibly lose their space. They want to justify like being in a, in a space, right. you know, we, uh, my camp, I'm moving offices, uh, just in two days to a fancy new building on my campus that has the dancing goats in the lobby. So that will be dangerous. Um, A coffee shop. And uh, one of the things where we were going to go was far more um, accessible for students. We're going pretty far away. It'll be a bit of a hike for a lot of students, not for some, but for others. And um, the other place we could have moved would have been still more closer and convenient for students, but we would have had to like hotel offices. Mm. And my boss was like, and I was like, I just want to say I am team hoteling. If it means that I have to have less jars of peanut butter in my drawer, but also that I don't have to be here every day. Right. Like, why Which are we trying to have individual it. offices? I don't need that. 
Yeah, I know. I think the argument for like, oh, well, like if you're in a space, it'll foster ideas and it'll blah, 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 blah. Let me just say. Not if we're still all well, having meetings on There's Zoom. a couple of things about that. The idea that being together in a communal space fosters um, imagination and creativity, I think is a really patriarchal thing yep. also because the women don't it's have suggesting the mental that you only, space. It's suggesting that you only have one way to be creative. Right. First of all. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yep. The women don't have, they're thinking, okay, at 5 p.m., I've got to go do this. I've got to get the dinner. I've got to get the kids. I've got to do the that. So it's already a moot point by even saying like, well, some people feel inspired. Secondly, I think that once you remove people from offices, some people are extroverted and they do want to go find those spaces and they do want to communicate or collaborate. That is how we're going to breed the innovation of more co-working spaces, mm-hmm. of more spaces to form other types mm-hmm. of community. We need that. Well, we need more right, of that. Here's, here's the thing, actually. And the article that uh, Holly sent me really goes goes in on this and says, you know what? If you're not, if you aren't finding ways to foster your team creatively, no matter where they are, you are failing your employees. Right. So, so do better. So, you know what? Work looks different. So change the way that you're approaching concepts of creativity or creating the virtual water cooler or whatever. Yeah. All that means is that also that you probably didn't have a strong sense of community to begin with. If it couldn't come, if you can't come up with other ways of keeping that going virtually. Right. Yeah. We have talked about this before and we're going to talk about the internet at some point in time because I have some of my strongest relationships with people that I've never met on the internet. Oh, absolutely. I literally do not. So um, I actually heard a term this week that I love, which is a dualpreneur, which I'm, I'm claiming. I'm a dualpreneur. I have a full-time job and I also run a web design studio. Oh, I think I'm a dualpreneur too. Yes, 100%. Yes. Jesse and I are dual. We're going to rename we're the dual podcast the dualpreneurs. People um, are going to be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but for Let's Go the Studio, which is my... <laughs> oh, that would be a good title for this episode, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because we did not talk about embodied rhetoric. We, we, we'll do that no, next we, time. I think we really have. Well, we want to get... I mean, I have we a have couple... a hot topic that we want to talk about. I think we're going every other podcast, like mm. one's serious and one's kind of fun. No, no, next... no, no, no. We're talking... We're going to spend... I don't think this even merits, or we at least need to introduce it to people and then people can... I think we need to talk about it. You want to talk about it right now? I do. All right. But you can finish your point. I've never even seen my designer. That's all I was going to say. My my senior designer that works for me at my studio, Let's Go Studio. Yes. Um, I like literally, I spoke to her one time for 30 minutes to interview her to make sure that she was good. And now I do not speak to her. I so just you, don't. you use Slack to yep. talk to her and, and email? And we are like besties via Asana. Slack. Do you That's, use Asana? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Good job, Jesse. Um, <laughs> but to go back to like strong relationships, like I still consider her a friend now because we're just so chatty on Slack. And she's like, I did this and I did that. And you can send screenshots and you can send this and you can send that. Like it is insane to me that like people think that you need to be in a space because she and I collaborate all the time yep. like, just by doing screenshots or just by screen sharing and or you sending do videos and doing such creative work. Yep. Yeah. I agree. So this article says, and I'll bring this back around and then we'll talk about our Hollywood theories. Um, the case for flexible work has a social and moral imperative. It retain it helps retain women, reduce burnout, makes it easier to have children and deliver on caregiving responsibilities. According to a recent survey of female hybrid workers that combine in office and remote work, I'll just say it like that. 88% believe the flexibility of hybrid work is an equalizer in the workplace and two thirds says it has a positive impact on their career growth. Um, flexible work provides greater opportunities for career advancement across gender lines and increases the number of women in leadership, which is good for business Companies with more women in leadership have more engaged workers and are more profitable. Also, 90% of women want the ability to work remotely, including fully remote or hybrid work. 
and with it have experienced an increased sense of belonging, greater psychological safety, and thanks to less unstructured time with colleagues, fewer microaggressions. This is even oh more pronounced for gosh. women of color, LGBTQ+, and women with disabilities. Support for flexibility and the work ability to work remotely is inextricably tied to gender equality and benefits us all, men, women, and marginalized genders. So, like, I just want to clarify that this, it, it's, it, like, the 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 expectation or argument that it's not working or that it's you know we have to like return to this way of being is false it, right. like no yeah it is not backed up by things it is lazy um anyway so all of that the reason we're talking about this we're talking about embodied embodiment is because we bring our bodies right. to you're our right. work you're right you're right in all ways so i think it's absolutely embodied rhetoric and that's also also why i think it was so relevant to talk about because you know we like when we're thinking about what we have to wear or what we eat and yeah. whether we're going to make a good exactly. meal decision. Yeah. That is embodied rhetoric. Like it's all of that stuff tied yeah. up. And you know, you didn't even touch on this and we didn't touch on it at all, but you just hit something mm -hmm. that women, I've experienced it. I will be honest, men being terrible in the workplace. Like mm -hmm. I had a male coworker at one of my early, early, early jobs who every morning would ask me for a hug. What in the world? Yep. And like, and I'm like, that's not even an appropriate. Oh, like, I know. For any I'm context. like 22 though, and I'm brand Ew. new corporate job. And he'd be like, "Hi, good morning, girls. Who wants to give me a hug this morning?" Ew. Like the added layer of worrying <laughs> yeah. about like sexual assault or like weird so weirdness in the workplace or um, no, it's not good. No. And when you get to work from home, all of that is removed. You know, we also haven't even talked about, which is that literally they make office buildings to to, to the temperature of a, a man being oh, cool Jessie, and not I a woman. Cannot, so I when cannot. I'm at work, it's like, am I going to need six cardigans or zero cardigans? Right. And I'll be sweating and I literally never know cannot the even so get into there. So, okay, we're going to make a vast pivot, but we're still going to be talking <laughs> about it. Jesse's just rhetoric. really passionate about this topic. Well, because we keep flirting it on the podcast yeah, right. and we've not talked Let's about it. Let's do it. We're going to so. objectify men. I am. Sorry. We, um, last year, I think we made a whole PowerPoint about <laughs> toad frog. Yeah. Uh, it's are you a, a toad or are you a frog? Toad, thumb toad frog bull with yeah. whether or not you askew. And it's like a, it's like a quadrant. And it's this is a, a quadrant, TikTok yeah. thing. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a quadrant where you're mm -hmm. either more frog or you're more, um, rat. No, it's rat. It's rat, toad, thumb, bull. You're either more frog or more rat. Mm -hmm. And then you're either more thumb shaped. Oh, I think it's more thumb and rap. No, no, it's either. I, you know what? I'll put the chart on the thing. Mm -hmm. But we definitely plotted all the Formula One we drivers on this chart because um, we're terrible. <laughs> um, but I have we another got men involved too we, in the conversation. Oh yeah, we were like, we let's, were including, let's yeah. do all of this. Um, like but, I mean, we asked our friends' opinions as well. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. We we equalize. Like, what do you men think about plotting these other men mm -hmm. on this chart? Mm -hmm. um, but Jesse and I each have our own theories about celebrities celebrity men um mine is called wide theory yes so the og yeah listener i want you to picture a few men in their prime in their early i don't i hate to call it prime i would say like you're right that was my mistake in their early years of acting leonardo dicaprio in titanic yep picture leo in titanic picture, picture matt damon in, in like goodwill, goodwill hunting, hunting. uh-huh picture adam driver and girls mm -hmm. what do all these men have in common mm -hmm. they're actually pretty scrawny little pre-wide little pre-wide my theory is that some men, <laughs> they go wide. They not they're not, not like a bigger, not, a, not like a girthy not in terms of. I'm like not talking weight. about weight. Yeah. I'm talking about their shoulders. They go out mm -hmm. instead of getting tall. I think some men don't get tall. Some men get wider. These men because they're ripped. Like Adam Driver in um as Kylo Ren, he's mm -hmm. ripped. This isn't a weight thing, but he is so 
wide. Yeah, he is like, like taking up the so whole wide. room. Like there's so many like memes about it. But if you see him in girls, his shoulders don't have the same thing. And the same thing is with Leo DiCaprio. He is this little string bean of a guy in Titanic. And then all of a sudden he's like this wide. Like when I think of Leo, I think of a square. Oh, you know what's another good example? We watched the Beetlejuice movie. And it, what's that guy's name? Michael um, Keaton? No, no, no. The other guy, Alec Baldwin. Oh my God. And Prime he, Alex example. Baldwin is a great example of why you theory. can't even tell. Like he, it's not that he's gained weight. No, he just listen. Why Alec Baldwin is in Beetlejuice? He is the the dad husband person. Yeah, he's like a little scrawny boy. And I, I remember he's we watched man. it. I was like, guys, that's Alec Baldwin. And you guys are like, what? Like, yes, that is him pre wide, but he yeah. just got wide. And so I just think that some celebrities go wide instead of getting taller. It's a well, phenomenon. They're, they're, they're adults, so they're not really going to get any taller. No, I think it's a phenomenon. That's that's my theory, is that <laughs> in, because like there are other actors, like think about like Joseph Gordon-Levitt or like Ben Affleck that don't mm-hmm. go through the widening, so they don't have any sort of the widening. <laughs> that's what she calls it. I just need to put that on the and record. we talk about it all <laughs> We'll be like, oh, I think this is this, this person is a wide, wide theory. theory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's so, others too. I can't think about. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Jo- there was one just uh, recently. We were like, "Oh, I think this yeah, is white theory." Wide yeah. theory. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, it's like my greatest joy. It's yes. <laughs> so mine is a more nascent theory. It's only recently become part of the conversation, <laughs> but in keeping with Olivia's white theory, which I love, um, I mine is motion theory, and we did briefly mention it mm-hmm. on a previous episode mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this idea that like I think there are just men who. And, and women too. Like Anya Taylor-Joy is actually a good example of motion theory. Like I, I don't totally think she's agree. attractive, but I think in motion, she is. She has like Stunning. a she has like a something, yeah. right? It's some sort of charisma that translates in in motion that doesn't translate in photographs. Yes. I think Adam Driver is the okay, Venn diagram. Me. You wound me both. with that. You wound me I with think that. There are some I think exceptions. There's some exceptions, but I think he he has a charisma that I don't think translates to like a still shot. I will give you the charisma thing, but I think he's a magnificent man and I love him and would do anything for him. I, I'm not, but I'm not suggesting that he's not. I'm just saying that that <laughs> charisma is in motion that isn't in um, a photograph. Another great example is Ansel Eckhart from um, yep, Baby, Baby Driver. Driver. I think he's very weird in photographs. I think he has very good charisma on screen. Your big example is Pedro Pascal. Yes. I you do not think that he is attractive in photos, but when he's moving, yeah, he's he hot. has a charisma or his yeah, voice. He absolutely does. Yeah, yeah, his voice for sure. There's a lot of yeah. I agree with that. Um, there was another one that I thought of recently too. Um, Can I claim mm-hmm. this? Because I don't think I photograph well, but I think I video well. Like yeah. I think my TikToks and my reels do really well. But yeah. I'm like, when I look at photos of myself, I'm like, who is that? <laughs> she looks terrible. Like I, it's really hard for me to get a good picture of myself. That's actually good. I think actually to bring it back to embodied rhetoric in a really personal way, I think that we all feel that way. Where like sometimes I, because I take pictures of myself in things that I've made a lot, and so I have, you know, I, I'm very familiar with like how goofy I look in nine out of ten photos. Mm-hmm. And I try to get like a candid photo and I'm like, wow, I just look so yeah. weird. I'm like, I think why that do we I look are like that? so super self-critical of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But then especially if I have to take a picture of myself from the back, I'm like, oh my oh, God, who no. is that person? Yeah. I mm. like there's something very vulnerable about yeah. seeing yourself from behind. Oh my and god. And you're like, I know that other people see me from behind all the time, mm-hmm. but I am so glad that I don't have to see myself yeah. from behind. Like I'm like, what's going on with my elbows? What is going on with like my, my curls? <laughs> My curl, I know my curls look good from the front, but like, I'm like, are, is it curly in the back? I'm like, what is, what's going on back there? It's I just so don't, don't want to right? know. Like, I don't want to know. I'll be, I'll be like, I know I need to take this because people want to see what the back of my dress looks like. And then I'm like, oh no, do I yeah. have 
not to share no no i have no interest i don't want to ignore that 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 even exists that is a universal experience okay like i think everyone's like oop nope not from behind no i have no interest in seeing that actually it's a funny addition to uh my favorite of the harry potter movies the third one in which they go back in time and hermione almost oh yeah uh, almost gets caught because she's like is that what i look like from behind yeah (laughs) <laughs> which is yep. so she's so real for that we love Hermione yes. oh my god we yes. should dive into that at some point I mean Hermione I think Hermione carries the entire Harry Potter series mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. she is the reason why they all are successful and do anything ever um so I mean I think you can argue that they each have a thing nope. that the other one wouldn't be able to you survive can argue that. with but Hermione you- is probably the strongest of the three yeah. Ron, Ron could have died like <laughs> <laughs> and with that I'll, we'll see you guys <laughs> I also I also am I'm I, I think that Harry should have died too uh, if there's oh anyone out there who's read Cursed Child it is the oh you know what no one wants to see is a middle aged Harry Potter oh absolutely like, not Harry Potter dies in the end of his saga and then everything he's remembered as a hero but like Harry Potter middle aged he's like kind of sad he's he's like not quite sure what to do with his life and, and he's a bad dad and like these are just not the kinds of things that I want Harry Potter to well, be thinking about. He should have died. There's also a joke with our friends and me that I hate middle-aged white men in general. Like I cannot Yours are watch kind of like thing- the older. It's like right. once they get like past 55. I do not care about Harry. I think Harrison Ford is like one of the worst people ever. I mm-hmm. wish they would stop lugging him around places, mm-hmm. like leave and him paying him to yeah, be in like, like jobs that he I actively doesn't want to be in. Old leather Harrison Ford. Like <laughs> stop <laughs> Stop bringing him around. We're going to have to put like, so many of these things in like the stop. description of like, like we've got here. We ta- Today we talk about old, lo- old, old leather chairs and Ford. Yes. Like stop lugging him. I don't like I hated Birdman. I just don't think that the white male's plight of feeling sad that he's no longer young. I think that is the most boring story that could be told. How do you feel about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I actually thought that one was better because it doesn't just focus on Leo. And I think that he does it in a really humble way. I remember he's talking to the little girl as she's becoming mm-hmm. an actress. And it's instead like of primal being, scene. Yeah. Yes. But instead of being like really defensive, he actually kind of softens and he's like, oh, there it is. The next generation. And like there's a really lovely humbleness to that one that I think was captured really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like Birdman because it's the whole, it's really just Michael Keaton being sad that he's not an actor anymore. I'm, there's a ton of films like that where I'm just like, I just literally, I just don't, oh, um, Ad Astra is that. Yeah. I love space movies and watching that. Oh God, about what Brad about Gravity? Pitt. Oh my God. <laughs> gravity, I didn't mind because it was mostly Sandra Bullock, but okay. <laughs> Ad Astra is basically a story about Brad Pitt going to find his egotistical father who like left him all these breadcrumbs because he's sad about being an old mm-hmm. man in space. And it's like, I don't care. Like there are so many more stories mm-hmm. about other types of humans that mm-hmm. that is like the least interesting story to me. It's also funny because one of the other things that Olivia, um, we disagree on, one of my favorite books of all time and oh. movie is The Shining and Olivia is a Shining hater. It's fine. It's fine. I'm it sorry. Is, it's the because movie I is especially just men. a boring story about an old white man. Yeah. But I mean, it's, or a man that's middle-aged that's having a hard time dealing with his feelings. It's like, I'm the sorry. The book is a lot a more sophisticated. Like the well, this was the 70s. They, I don't yeah. care. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Look, <laughs> you cannot, I cannot with men, like go get a therapist. I've been in therapy. I go lift weights. I go do all these really hard things. I went to a doctor. I got Lexapro. 
I'm doing the thing. I'm doing the work. So I hate watching stories where men are like, life's hard. I'm like, yeah, I freaking know it is. Isn't it so hard? Yeah. I know it is. And I don't want to hear you. Are you just arriving at this conclusion? Because we've been dealing with this for our entire lives. Say, and you are the most privileged of all of us. And I just, I just hate those stories. Well, maybe that's why it takes longer for it to catch on for them. Because it's like, a hardship. My body is aging. Yeah. What, what's what do I do with this? You know? Yeah. Again, not a man hating podcast, but yeah. I do think that you should all go to therapy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, I just, I, oh my god, we've both had triggered moments in this this, this episode. Mm-hmm. Got us both. Like, but what's I think what's really fun about this? I was thinking about this because you're like, you're. I think sometimes you're like, so Jesse, to bring it back, I don't think we need to bring things back. I think okay, all of this a lot of times is rhetoric and is feminism because we're talking yeah. about these things that are that are so much a part of all of it. What I love about our podcast is I think it doesn't have, we don't have to resolve every episode very neatly. Like okay. we talked about a thing, we can talk about it more. You're if right. you have You're feelings, right. you want to write in with stuff. Like this is an ongoing conversation. This is a conversation. But I don't think we need to like wrap everything it's up. It's very Libra of you. Um, this is all over the place and I actually probably, I think more entertaining than when we're like here's a book i mean okay. i did bring You're a book right. and i will okay. post it's the same book as last time we mm. talked about it i talked about the article i gave oh, you the title of the gosh. article we, we talked so about the funny. artist we talked about the photograph right we talked about so much stuff so much stuff all right well, our friends are about to be here it's memorial day join weekend us, for us join us next time yeah. on the unhinged <laughs> feminist podcast the unhinged feminist. all right thanks guys bye this podcast sponsored by let's go studio Produced by Pod Squad. Additional production support by Ben Does Business. Find us and check out our show notes on our website at feminishpodcast.com. <laughs>